Hello, and welcome back to the Home Bible Study. We're currently studying in the letter to the Hebrews. We're in chapter 10. Um, this Hebrews study has been very informative for me. It's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. And <clears throat> the fact that we're sharing this uh, study together is uh, pretty interesting. Uh, it really has brought out a lot of things that for me personally, that have been uh, very eye-opening and uh, have caused me to uh, grow in a certain direction. I hope the same is true for you. Uh, we've come to a section in the letter that <clears throat> can be described as challenging or difficult <clears throat> because of the subject matter. Up till now, a lot of the themes have been familiar they have been uh, referencing things that we've covered in the study of the Old Testament. Anybody who has done at least a cursory study of the Old Testament certainly um, can find a lot of familiar themes in the things that are uh, that we've covered so far. But here, uh, although it's also true with what we're going to study today, Probably um, it's not something that has been studied in depth by most people. So let's start off with doing a review before we get into it. We'll be studying, um, starting with verse 26 in Hebrews chapter 10. I'll go ahead and read it first and then we can do the review. The uh, verse says, For if we sin willfully, after that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. So uh, this is, um, this is the kind of, you know, it seems like it doesn't fit. We started off with the, before the verses ahead of this were encouraging us to uh, encourage one another to, hold fast to our profession, to draw near to the Lord, uh, all those things that common themes that are encouragements that we can see the benefit of right away. And then it seems kind of like <clears throat> out of the blue, where does this come from? But it's not really out of the blue. It really fits in the, uh, the same vein and hopefully we'll be able to see that. Um, so let's look at some of the things that we've been instructed in the recent uh, past in this letter. Um, we were told about Jesus as our high priest in Hebrews 10.21. In Hebrews 10.22, we were told to draw near to God in Christ. Hebrews 10.23, we're told to hold fast to our faith without wavering. Hebrews 10.24 we were told to consider one another and incite each other to love and good works. In Hebrews 10.25, we're told to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So a lot of exhortation here, a lot of encouragement, a lot of instruction. And here we're going to find the same thing is true uh, in the verses that we're going to study today. We're going to start off in verse 26 with the letter with the word for. It says, for if we sin willfully. So why does it start off with for? For is a connecting word. It connects 
what's about to be said to the things that were said before. So there is a connection. It's not like, you know, something way out of left field. These things do go together. Um, it's kind of, how do I describe this? It's sort of a sad consequence. Um, to the to to not doing the things that were said before if we neglect if we don't recognize Jesus as our high priest if we don't draw near to him near to God in Christ if we don't hold fast to our faith without wavering if we don't consider one another and encourage one another to love and good works if we forsake the assembling of ourselves this is the only thing that we have to look forward to is verse 26 and that is the wrath of god that's what's being described here and it's kind of odd because as a believer you think to yourself how would i experience the wrath of god i only know the grace of god that's the whole point of the lord jesus in saving people is to deliver us from the wrath of god but that's not 100% true. There is a place, um, kind of a condition, where even believers can experience the wrath of God. Now, do we experience the wrath of God like unbelievers, unmixed, with no mercy? No. But there still is a danger for us by a lot of people use the term becoming shipwrecked by forsaking the assembling together um, with other believers by not drawing near to God in Christ by going away from God uh, we can get on a path of destruction a path that will lead us to error and God will address and correct all error, especially error that's found in his people. There's plenty of evidence of that throughout scripture, that judgment starts with the people of God. So we need to be very cognizant of this, even more so than others, because we have a... Uh, responsibility to grace we have a responsibility to knowledge we have a responsibility to those who are outside of those blessings <laughs> we are the witnesses we are the priests the go-between the believer priests that uh, that bring men to God and so we have to live in a certain way, a higher standard, you might say. So let's uh, take a look at that and see what this verse says about that. So it's obviously this verse is talking about sin and willful sin. And it's, it's an exhortation. It's an encouragement. It's an encouragement on the negative. 
This is what we are not to do because there are consequences associated with uh, digression. If we're not moving forward, we're moving backwards. It's just that simple. There's no standing still. This whole letter is encouraging us to move on, to move on from the things of the past to the heavenly calling, to the things that are before us. That's what this entire letter is about. It's saying, hey, this is where we were. Okay, this is where we need to be headed. We cannot stay in the past. We no longer have a tabernacle that could be touched with hands. We have the Lord Jesus. We no longer have a high priest that has infirmity. We have a high priest that is perfect. So now we need to move on to perfection. We need to be like our high priest. That's what this entire letter is about. Now, we're going to be instructed on the wrath of God. And that's something that most believers probably don't even think about. But it's something that we should think about. It should be at the forefront of our mind because even though we will not experience that wrath, uh, in the form of hell and like in the lake of fire. We do know people who will. And they need to be told. They need to understand what consequence awaits those who die apart from the Lord Jesus, from having that high priest and savior. And if we don't meditate upon that, then we're probably not actively ministering to people who um, need to know about the grace of God. Because it's wonderful to tell people about Jesus' love, his grace, his protection, his blessing. All those things are great, and people love hearing about it. But the truth is that if you're not saved, you'll never know any of those things. You'll never know them the way that Christian people will know them. Now, there is something called, there's two types of grace. There's a common grace that everybody receives. And the way you can describe that is the sun shines on everybody, the good and the bad. Everybody benefits from the sunshine and uh, from the seasons. But there's also a grace that is very particular, and that is the salvation grace. That grace is only given to those who are saved. And that grace brings you into a close proximity, an intimate relationship, um, gives you full access to Jesus as the high priest, gives you access to all the blessings associated with his heavenly calling. Those two very different experiences. And so we have to represent both truths and the sad consequence of only experiencing the common grace of God is that you will apart from his salvation experience wrath unmixed with grace that is the sad consequence that's the sad truth so we're going to be looking at more about this wrath of God. How does it work? Who does it apply to? 
Um, we have to have an understanding of that so that when we minister to others, we can explain it. It's very important. It has to do with um, a person's eternal fate. So it's very important for us to, to know and to understand and to be able to give an explanation for what it is that we believe. So Jesus is the evidence of the grace of God, put simply. Jesus is the evidence of the grace, the, sa the saving grace of God, the salvation grace. Jesus' high priestly ministry, his drawing of us near to him, the faith that is a gift in salvation, all of these are manifestations of his grace. These are the perfections of Christ. And those who are saved fully benefit from all of these things. That is a fact. But God is also a God of wrath. Uh, although it may be difficult uh, for believers to really comprehend that fact is true. Just like his grace and his love is manifested clearly, so too is his wrath. I think that uh, sometimes you have to go to other people's explanation so that you can get a, so that it can be conveyed clearly. And this is a, a time where uh, I benefited greatly, greatly from this one author, um, Arthur Pink is his name. Um, and he does an excellent job of describing the attributes of God. And I like the explanation that he gives. Uh, and I'm going to read, I quote, Because God is holy, he hates all sin. Because he hates all sin, his anger burns against the sinner. And he quotes Psalm 711. I think that's, uh, a, a very good way to put it, that the holiness of God dictates a hatred of sin, right? And sin ignites his anger, right? Because of his holiness, his righteousness and holiness makes him to hate sin. So sin ignites his anger. That's why we need a savior that can eternally abate that anger. And the only one that could do that was the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood being shed. God hates sin so much that he didn't even spare his own son when sin was placed upon him. He, he unleashed his wrath upon his own son who was righteous and had done nothing wrong because sin was placed upon him. This should give us an idea of how much God hates sin. <coughs> Verse 26, for if we, so it says, if we, so who is the we here? I think it's very important to understand who the we is. Clearly the writer is including him himself. So the we includes all people, 
the saved and the unsaved. Sin affects us all. We're all affected by sin. So the, the writer does not take a holier-than-thou place or, hey, this is for y'all and not for me, clearly putting himself in the same bucket. So all men, all of creation, in fact, is infected and affected by sin. So that's who the we is here. What is sin, by the way? It says, for if we sin. Well, what is this sin? Sin can be described as missing the mark. There is a mark that God, a standard that God has for righteousness, for goodness, for purity, all those things. Sin is to miss that mark, is to not maintain or to um, hit that standard. And as we know, sin began a long time ago with Adam and Eve um, in the garden. That's where sin, actually, that's not the beginning of sin. That's where sin first entered into creation. Um, and since then, it has been a plague and has plummeted man into a desperate need of salvation. Thankfully, the Lord Jesus fulfilled that need. But we still have today this issue of sin. And that's, that's kind of the tricky part. You know, Jesus certainly satisfied all that was needed to bring us into a divine relationship, a holy relationship with God, right? Positionally, we are in Christ, but there's a progressive part of that also because we still, you know, inhabit these bodies. We still live in this creation. And <clears throat> so therefore there is sin and there is a, um, a battle, a war that goes on, and it is our burden. Um, and it's a challenge for all of us. So the, the writer says we, because he includes himself, and it lets us know this is for believers and unbelievers. We all battle sin. Um, it's just that simple. So, Clearly, we've established uh, what sin is, that sin is a, a problem that we all have to face. But here, the writer says, for if we sin willfully, what does that mean? Well, the word that's used here for willfully can be translated voluntarily. So this speaks of a mindset. A mindset that's unencumbered with any hindrance, no feeling of hesitation, uh, no impedance whatsoever. That, my friend, I, is the key to this verse. Because we know that we all sin. But there, in the life of a believer, sin is a very negative thing. 
it is normally our realization of the weight, the burden of sin that led us to seek out a savior. God uses that realization that we're sinners, hell-bound sinners, to bring us to a saving knowledge of the, the Lord Jesus. So that never goes away. We live the rest of our lives in this progressive moving towards the high calling, battling this sin. We have a constant battle. But here we see in verse 26 the, a different mindset, a mindset of voluntarily entering into sin. I think this is the, the key here to this entire verse. There is, in the life of believers, there's an opportunity for us to have this mindset, sadly. There is a place that if we walk in a way that um, denies ourselves the, the strength, the encouragement of the word, we turn away from the encouragement and ministry and quench the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, we can fall into a place of willful sin. The difference is between the saved person and the unsaved person is that the saved person will not remain in that place. God will not allow it. God will step in and intervene by either pulling you away from that and making you to uh, see your sin for what it is, or he will remove you from this earth. Those are the only two consequences or results that could happen. So that's the difference between the unsaved willingly sinning and the saved. And I think we have to make that distinction because the distinction is not made by the writer. The distinction has been made in previous verses in this same letter. And here we have to bring all of that understanding and knowledge with us as we move through this writing because it's the writer is considering that we understand that that we're not taking this one verse out of the context of the whole letter that this is written within the context of the letter so we have to approach it from that standpoint <clears throat> very important to uh, look at things in the context of the way they were uh, given. So, it says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. So that's another important part of this verse. The knowledge of the truth. So, first of all, we can see that sin is judged based on um, knowledge that's given prior to the sin. So God is not unjust. If we look at the garden scene, prior to God 
judging them, he told them, hey, you can eat of any of the fruit of the garden except for the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the knowledge that was given to them ahead of time. He said, you can have anything you want, just don't eat that. That was the instruction. So we're given instruction first. And then after that they failed to follow that instruction, then came the judgment. So they were judged based on having received the knowledge of truth. Okay? So we too, as believers, receive knowledge. God instructs us. Even if you've never read the Bible, you have God the Holy Spirit to instruct you and to lead and guide you and to lead you away from sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit guides us and leads us in truth and away from sin. For us to not listen, for us to willfully not listen, well, then we are setting ourselves up for trouble. So that's how that truth applies to the believer. But how does it apply to unbelievers? What if they are, and I like this example people use, what if they are in the um, jungle somewhere and they've never ever heard of other people and all they know are other, you know, members of their tribe, they don't know anything about the Bible, the Lord Jesus, how then can God judge them? Because they've never received the knowledge of the truth, right? So they're just doing what comes natural, right? That's a solid argument. But the problem with that argument is that the scripture tells us that everything that needs to be known and can be known by God can be seen even in his creation. Um, man is has no excuse. God has given us testimony to his existence, his power, his grace. All of these things apart from even the scriptures. The scriptures illuminate these things. The scriptures describe these things in detail. But all of his attributes can be known apart from even somebody telling you in the scriptures. We, we just, we have the advantage of the details of his person and his personality revealed to us through scripture. But uh, man is without excuse to not acknowledge God or to know who God is. Um, that is uh, no excuse for mankind because God will reveal himself to everyone. He will, he has that ability and he will reveal himself. The, the problem is that man doesn't want to know God. Man doesn't want to know these things. Man is content in sin. 
and does not want to know the holiness of God. And I'm not going to argue that uh, because it's not for me to uh, argue that truth. The word of God argues that truth. And um, I know for a fact that the Lord is faithful and he will reveal himself to all whom he desires. And I feel that myself, that I am fortunate that he has revealed himself to me, not because I deserve it, you know, not because it's something that I merit, but it's out of his grace. None of us in truth and sit down for this because it may be a little shocking to you. None of us deserve to know the love of God in Christ. No one does. Not one person deserves that. We are getting what we don't deserve in grace. Okay? That's what we have to understand. That his grace has given us what we don't deserve. What we deserve is to be thrown in hell in the lake of fire. Every person that came after Adam and Eve, that's what they deserve. Our sin calls out to God to judge us that way. But the Lord Jesus, wanting to show his mercy and his grace, has manifested salvation to those who don't deserve it. So no one has an excuse. No one. So it says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. And this is true. Um, if we receive the knowledge, if someone, if we minister to people and we give them and tell them, hey, about the Lord Jesus and what he's done and how that he has uh, accomplished salvation um, and deliverance, from the guilt and penalty of sins, if we minister to them and they ignore that, then what hope do they have? I mean, it's really that simple. What hope do you have? If the only salvation is Christ and you ignore that, then what remains for you? What, what's the only, there's no sacrifice for sins for you. Because you, you're like, hey, I don't really care about that. It's not important to me or I don't believe it. Well, then there's only a consequence that awaits you. That's the application to the unsaved. But it's also the application to saved people. Because if we continue in sin, if someone comes to us and says, hey, brother, you know, that." That mindset you have right now, it's not going to lead anywhere good. Um, it's actually contrary to the truth. And you shouldn't go that route. If we don't listen, God will send instruction. He'll send help. But if we turn away from that help, if we turn away from the word of God and the instruction that the word has given us, if we ignore the truths that are presented to us in scripture from his word, 
then what do we have to look forward to? Right? Nothing good. It says, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. This is the worst possible position for any soul to be in. You know, that's, that's what we, we, we just, we don't want that. Um, this is where Hebrews 10.21 becomes a great gift for us. Um, in Hebrews 10.21, it says, And having a high priest over the house of God. We have this high priest, right? And as believers, we don't receive uh, the wrath of God unmixed. We have this high priest on our behalf, even when we're in a position of, you know, stubbornness, willfully sinning, and in, on a path that we know is wrong. We still have the grace of God for us, unlike the unsaved. And we can see this in the lives of other believers, um, particularly Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, they were on the wrong side of God's wrath. But the bright side is they still have a high priest. God took them home with the sad consequence of not being able to do all the exploits that the others during their time in his name uh, would be able to do at the beginning of the church age. If you're not familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira, it's in um, in Acts. They um, they had the opportunity, like many other believers at that time, to contribute to the early church. And what they would do is people would take property that they have or whatever and sell it to raise money for other believers, for those who were experiencing very hard times because they had become Christians and a lot of times people wouldn't do business with them. Their family would um, ostracize them and they had nothing. And so the believers got together and they took from what they had to share with one another. Well, Ananias and Sapphira was a, Sapphira was a, a married couple and they did the same thing and they had a piece of property they went and sold because they wanted to get on the bandwagon. You know, hey, you know, we, we got this property we can contribute to. The only difference is that instead of giving the entire amount that they got for the property, they held property, they held some of the money back. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. This is their money. They can do that. The problem is, is they said that they gave all of the money. And that's where the issue came in. They lied and misrepresented the truth and said that, no, this is all the money. When it was revealed that that wasn't the case. And when confronted about it, um, God took Ananias' life as a result. I mean, it's just that simple. Because, And this is a case where the wrath of God is being um, expressed 
in the life of a believer. Because that believer did something that was a willful sin. They knew better. They had been taught better. The whole purpose of what they were doing was to um, to help other believers. And unfortunately, Ananias took that the wrong route and uh, misrepresented his gift. And God took him home. He uh, took his life. And he, he now did he go to hell in lake fire? No, he went to heaven. But the the consequence is is that they no longer have the opportunity to serve God here on earth. And um, that's how we glorify God. That's how we store up treasure in heaven to present to the Lord Jesus. Uh, and that was a consequence that Ananias and Sapphira uh, met. And you can uh, see that story in Acts. And Sapphira, his wife, did the, she followed suit. She did the same thing. They confronted her and asked her about the the uh, the land and the purchase and the money and she went along with her husband and she fell dead as well so it's sad it's sad but that is a consequence that will happen to believers when we willfully sin when we get in a place to where we no longer are feeding the spirit we're no longer uh, submitting to the truth of the word of god and we Get on a path of sin, of willful sin, of voluntarily entering into sin. This is where it will head. This is the end result. We're going to end up. The Lord will just take you out. He's like, okay, you're no more good to me. You're not serving me here. You're not serving the truth or glorifying me in your life. Well, then it's time for your life to end. And, uh, it's, it's, it's the, God is consistent. God is, his righteousness is consistent. He will not be misrepresented by us or by anyone. So it's very important that we know the word of God, that we submit to the truth that's presented to us, that we also glorify him with our lives. And that simply means to believe God. That's all you have to do is believe God. Believe that he is a rewarder of those who come to him. And we need to serve him with that mindset. In verse 27, we're going to see um, more of expanded part of this wrath of God. So in verse 26, it says, for if we sin willfully after that, we have received the knowledge of the truth there remaineth no sacrifice for sins in verse 27. But what does remain, uh, is a certain fearful looking forward, of, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. So this is the sad consequence of persistence in sin. Now, we saw with Ananias and Sapphira, yeah, there was a fearful looking forward of judgment. And that is true of all mankind. 
That's what happens. That is the only end or result to a life of sin. It's judgment. That's the only thing you can expect. But we have to see the qualifier here in verse 27. It says, but a fearful, a certain fearful looking for of judgment, right? And fiery indignation. So what is this fiery indignation? Well, that's the wrath of God. <coughs> and the picture is of, you know, a blazing fire of indignation. You know, the anger and the wrath of God being uh, pictured in the form of fiery indignation. Judgment and fiery indignation go to, together, hand in hand. But we saw with um, Ananias and Sapphira that they didn't go to hell in the lake of fire. So how do you explain that? They were judged, but they were judged having a high priest. And having a high priest, they went to heaven. They were That was already secured. Their salvation had already been secured. There was no fiery indignation awaiting them. But for the unsaved... For those who are judged apart from that, having a high priest, apart from the grace of God, there is fiery indignation. That's all that awaits them. It's the unmixed judgment and anger of God. Not something that anyone should ever look forward to. But that's what the unsaved have before them. This fiery indignation and judgment. And if you're not clear as to the quality or the result of this fiery indignation, the writer makes it clear. He says, which shall devour the adversaries. It will devour them. They will be consumed. And we know from other scripture that all people who, all souls that enter into eternity, either enter into eternal grace in heaven or eternal judgment in hell and the lake of fire. Both of those individuals, those souls will be given a body. And that body is an eternal body. It's a body that cannot be destroyed. It's a body that will experience all of the things that our body experiences now. Right? Uh, Jesus had that body in his resurrection. He was able to eat. Um, he picked up things. He felt things. It's an eternal body. So that body is given to the unsaved as well. And they are devoured by this fire in hell and the lake of fire, but they're not consumed. They are devoured, but they are not consumed because the body, the body that they're given is eternal. So they are eternally experiencing this fiery indignation 
that is the sad part of dying apart from Christ. And if that should alone should encourage us to witness and minister to these people because they don't know this wrath like we do. We know the truth of this wrath and they don't. Now, there's a place in them that recognizes that there's a God, that he's a God of judgment and that everything that (laughs) we're telling them is true. You may not be able to see it, but I guarantee you it's there because the word of God does not come back, back void. There's a power in the word of God. It's able to um, separate bone from marrow. It's, it pierces the soul. And that's why you get the reactions that you do. There's going to be a reaction. So this is the fate of all those who um, are unsaved, who live a life of sin. It's a very sad fate. And for those believers who choose to voluntarily enter into sin and to follow that path and continue on that path, well, there's also a a judgment awaiting you as well. So it's very important that we understand the wrath of God, how that it is that it's applied to us as, when I say us, I mean mankind, and also the bifurcation between those who are saved and those who are not. It's very important for us to be able to explain the difference and how that works. And the key, the difference between the wrath of God, the way it's described here, the fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. It's very, it's very clear that the adversaries are those who are the adversaries of God. They're not our adversaries. They're not the adversaries of sin. They willfully jump, join into that. They're the adversaries of God. God, sin, and sinners are adversarial to God. That's why he gets so angry. It's the it's a, it's a enemy of God. It's the enemy of righteousness. Sin is the enemy of righteousness. There are acts that are in opposition to God. And they make one an adversary. And God has fiery indignation awaiting to devour the adversaries. So it's very important for us to understand how that works so that we can uh, minister and explain the consequences of these types of actions. And we need to know ourselves so that we don't get caught in a trap of, you know, walking down the wrong path. It's very important that we understand the value and the wonderful benefit and blessing of God the Holy Spirit's ministry to us to lead us and to guide us in his truth. But we also need to know 
the wrath of God and what what how to describe it, what it is, the truth of its existence. Um, and it should be a key insider to to use a word that we saw earlier, to incite us to minister to others. We know and can understand this fiery indignation like no other people can. The only people that know it better than us are those who are currently in hell in the lake of fire. They know it far better than we do. But we do understand the truth of it. And because we know the grace of God, and how um, awesome and powerful and expansive the grace of God is, well, his wrath is just as expansive, just as awesome. So that should give us uh, a good understanding of what awaits people who are unsaved. And it should make us to want to minister to them the truth. And it's not given to us to save people. Let me make sure I clarify that. God has never asked people to save other people. Nowhere in his word does he say that. Because he saves people. That's his work. It's apart from us. All he asks us to do is to share the truth. And he will use that truth, that gospel message, in the salvation of others. So we just have to be faithful to proclaim his truth. And I thank God that somebody proclaimed his truth to me when I didn't want to hear it. And it led to me being saved. And I feel a great um, responsibility to do the same because I, I've seen what it's done for me in my life. And that should be impotence enough for us to want to share the truth. And to do that, we have to know the truth. We have to study the word of God. We have to know the word of God so that we can be confident that we are representing his word correctly. And it's really simple. If you only tell people about how the Lord saved you, that's sufficient. You know, that's sufficient. So, I'm going to go ahead and stop here um, and we'll take up uh, verse 28 next time. But hopefully, you know, through this study, we've seen something about sin and how it affects all mankind. How that we as believers are susceptible to falling into the trap of sin and how that we could. It's very subtle, you know. And we could fall into that trap and end up going down a road that would lead to God taking us completely off the, uh, taking us out completely so that we don't misrepresent him with our life. But also the more sad, the more sad consequence is for those who are unsaved, who only know sin. They don't know the truth. They have no desire for the truth. We have to be that witness and testimony for them. We have to walk in such a way that 
they're able to see the light of grace in us. Because that's the only way they can experience grace is through us, apart from being saved. So it's important for us to always be ready to uh, minister and to give an account as to why we believe what we believe and um, represent the Lord Jesus in our lives in a way that uh, will cause other people to want to know, well, why are you different? Well, why don't you do this or that? And it gives us an opportunity to tell people, you know, I would. Normally, I would do that. I did those things in the past, but the Lord Jesus has delivered me from those things by his grace. That's the opportunity that we have to witness and to minister. And we have to understand that we're, we're, we're held um, to a higher level of accountability in this life by the Lord Jesus and even by those we minister to. But that's good. That's a very good thing. And it uh, protects us and it allows us to grow and to um, experience Jesus um, in a way that we couldn't otherwise as we grow in his grace and the knowledge that he has for us in his word. I pray that this has been a, a encouraging, informative lesson. It, ha it definitely has been for me. I pray it's been that for you. Uh, let's close. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. I pray, Father, that um, we would uh, be mindful of sin and how that it, um, how you're so opposed to sin and how that your son came here to deliver us from the consequences of sin. And I pray, Father, that would encourage us to progressively uh, be holy because you're holy and that we would um, press towards the high calling that you've called us to. By your grace, Father, this will be done. We know this and we thank you for the Lord Jesus as we pray all this in his name. Amen.